0: Our first scripture today is from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even, without even thinking instead fix your attention on god you'll be changed from the inside out readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it unlike the culture around you always dragging you down so to its level of immaturity god brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you our second reading is from the greek scriptures colossians chapter 3 Verse 15 to 16, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, For the word of god within us thanks be to god peter rollins tells retells an ancient jewish parable that speaks of a heated debate taking taking part in a park between two taking place in a park between two old and learned rabbis the conversation in question revolved around a particularly complex and difficult and obscure verse in the Torah. It's not the first time that these two intellectual giants had gone at it. They had been discussing this verse and discussing what it means for 20 years. Now God is of course known for deep and profound patience but even God got a little frustrated. And so God came down to visit the two men and tell them once and for all what the verse meant. And God reaches down and pulls the clouds apart and begins to speak and says, You have been debating this verse endlessly for years, and I will now tell you what it means. And the two men looked up and in a rare moment of unity said to God, Who are you to tell us what this verse means? (laughs) You have given us the words, now leave us in peace to wrestle with it. (laughs) I remember the first time I was going to have communion. I was probably uh, seven years old or so. And I was run through a list of questions Did I understand what Jesus did on the cross? Did I understand what salvation was? Did I have the right answers to justify my participation in this holy sacrament? Now, I was brought into a faith tradition that had been trying to catch up to the demands of the Enlightenment to have all the right answers, to have an argument that could once and for all prove the case for faith. And we have often looked to our religion to provide us answers. But maybe we need to capture, recapture the spirit of the rabbis on the park bench. And indeed, the spirit that is ours as we come out of the Jewish tradition, that a lot more of our faith is about questions and the journey than it is about all of the right answers. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the questions that you ask us. We thank you for the moments of struggle that lead us deeper into those questions, deeper into our journey, deeper into the mystery of your love. May we find that spirit this morning and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. In the closing of his letter to the Romans, which many have looked uh, at as an answer book in many ways, as a theological treatise of Paul, he writes this fantastic chapter 12 that Isaac read for us earlier, which in fact doesn't really close the case for faith as one and done, but invites the Romans into this process of transforming, into this process of renewal. In the translation, uh, we heard was which from the message, but in the NRSV, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern. Notice that these words aren't open and shut. The, the Romans were to offer their bodies as a sacrifice, a sacrifice that is living, not dead. And so they're always changing and experiencing and transforming and renewing. It's something that's always happening to them. Kind of like we take you know, showers over and over because we're always in this process of renewing. And after the best that Paul has to offer from his theological mind, he offers the Romans a chance to have an active faith one that is embodied and engaged and refuses to conform to the patterns of the world around them. His letter to the Colossians that Susan read has a similar tone. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Notice this word, let. It's the sense of, of allowing something to be at work within you. Something that is stirring, this sense of dwelling, of being in something, rather than belief or assent. Let the peace of Christ have its work in you. Let this Christ reality move through you in such a way that it comes out in community. He then says, teach and admonish each other with all wisdom. Let it dwell with you that it comes out in singing, in singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. I hope that we you hear this morning the movement in these classic spiritual formation texts. These are not texts of stasis, they're texts of movement. These jive with the, the research on the psychology of creativity that has been done by Professor Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, and I like to say that name as often as possible because I did live in Hungary, so I know how to say it Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. When he said, This is how we grow into a virtuous life, he says, Repression is not the way to virtue. When people restrain themselves out of fear, their lives are by necessity diminished. Only freezen, freely chosen discipline can be enjoyed and still kept within the bounds of reason. If we are to follow Paul's words, we cannot see his cur- encouragement to be for us to be frozen or restricted or repressed, the way um, Chiksen Mihai says. Instead, research and human experience says that our faith grows when we are freely choosing, when faith is more of a verb than a noun. So this brings us to the deep wisdom of another one of our core values that uh, we've been forming this year and are working on living into, seeking the sacred through creativity, playfulness, and nature. We nurture our faith. At first glance, this one is so VPC, right? Creativity, I mean, we birthed a theater conservatory. Playfulness, this this group of people loves to have retreats. We love to have parties. There's always a lot of laughter when we're together. And nature, of course, you know, the trees. These just seem like so us. And although these words may seem light, creativity, playfulness, and nature may be a little bit, you know, hippie-ish. Maybe a little too fluffy. Maybe a bit easy. Maybe not rigorous enough for the life of faith. As I have spent time with these words this week, I've come to see that they're actually quite terrifying. (laughs) Terrifying for me and maybe for you too. Because I think for all of us, there are stories and ways in which our lives, in which we have shut down creativity, when we where we have stopped playing, where maybe we don't take the time to be out in nature. I suspect this may be true for many of you, and I, I know it's certainly true for me. I remember as a child being very engaged with creativity, loving to play, loving to be out in nature. But as I turned into my adolescence, I began to retreat from these things. I was quite overweight when I was a teenager and I was very self-conscious. And this perpetuated a cycle for me of trying to hide, of trying to hide my body and not risk being humiliated. So I stopped playing I stopped being outdoors, I stopped doing games. I was nervous about physical activity, hiking or swimming. This took me largely out of nature as well. Much of my life became about trying to compensate and hide and control. And so actually my adult life has been about reclaiming this in many ways and starting to learn how to play again in walking out in nature and being there. I ran a couple of half marathons and a marathon in search of this and to recover this. And while some of you may have a different story, maybe it was a drive to perfection or success or proving yourself or having a certain level of wealth, I think each one of us, if we begin to trace, could could maybe answer those questions from the Native American medicine man. When did we stop playing? When did we stop being creative? When did we stop taking time to be out in nature? These are the things we long for. They're what make us most beautifully and wonderfully human, but they can also be terrifying. So when we say, that our faith is nurtured through creativity, playfulness, and nature, we are saying something very radical and, again, countercultural. Creativity is is risking doing something that has not yet been done. It's risking creating something that, that someone may like or may not like, that may be received or may not be received. Playfulness is is playing a game that has not yet been played without knowing the outcome. We don't know what's going to happen. Nature is a reality that we can't control. I remember backpacking after a a snake warning (laughs) right before we left, and with every step on the backpack trip, I was so afraid there was going to be a snake that would come out and, and bite me. There is that risk of being out in nature, something that's larger than us. Now traditional faith formation that's the word we use in church for talking about spiritual spirituality. Traditional faith formation would be talk about the need to conform to beliefs and behaviors that are deemed acceptable and orthodox by the church. The philosopher and theologian Peter Rollins says that actually maybe we have belief statements and sign ask people to sign on the dotted line because not because we think everyone should believe every one of these things, but because it gives us an illusion of conformity (laughs) that we all do believe these things. But in reality, a healthy spirituality is one of doubt, is one of questions, is one of risk, is one of movement, of letting the Spirit of Christ dwell within us. Participating in what Paul is encouraging in his letters, renewing, transforming, discerning, letting this Christ reality have its way with you. Creativity, playfulness, and nature as the way we nurture our faith are very different than saying we nurture it through conformity, seriousness, and orthodoxy. You're going for a very different result with these three things. And I think they require us to risk in three different ways. First of all, creativity, play, and nature ask us to risk being fully present to this moment. Have you ever tried to to play with a toddler while being on your cell phone? (laughs) It doesn't work. Kids want your eyes, they want your full attention. And so to be creative and to play and to be in nature requires us to be present to the moment. It requires us to attend to to what is here now. The poet David White once said, Say no to everything that isn't yes. Stop snacking on the periphery so that you are hungry for the center. In order to, to live in this way, we, we have to be present. The writer Cal Newport has been writing a lot about what he calls deep work and saying what a dearth of it there is in our culture because we're so on our devices and so distracted constantly. And he's challenging our culture to, to set down some of those distractions and to be present. And truly, you can only be creative, you can only be playing, and you really can only fully be in nature when you are present. Maybe that is a part of renewing our minds. A second thing we risk is we risk losing control of the outcome. The choreographer Agnes DeMille had choreographed several ballets before she was asked to choreograph the musical Oklahoma. For its opening on Broadway, she had no idea that the musical would be a success. In fact, she spent $22.50 of the $50 a week she was making as a choreographer to buy front-row balcony seats for 10 of her friends, and she couldn't fill those 10 seats with her friends, so she had to go out on the street and drag some of the dancers walking around to fill that opening night of Oklahoma on Broadway. Later, she was surprised by its success, And a little dismayed because it didn't seem like it was her best work. She felt some of her earlier pieces were better but that they had been overlooked. After a conversation with the older choreographer and founder of modern dance, Martha Graham, Martha sent her this letter that I read a bit of to you earlier. She said there is a vitality, a life force, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is or how valuable it is nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours, clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. You do not even have to believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep open and aware directly to the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. No artist is pleased. There is no satisfaction whatever at any time. There is only a queer divine dissatisfaction. A blessed unrest that keeps us marching and makes us more alive than the others. We can't control the outcome when we are creative, when we are playing, when we are in nature. We don't know where our questions will take us. And yet this is the invitation of the Spirit to stay open, to keep seeing where the next step it takes us and then the next step after that. The third thing these invite us to do is to risk de-centering. When we come into the sanctuary, I imagine you, like me, come to get centered. But it's also true that walking into this place and taking a journey of faith requires us to be decentered, to walk on some uneven ground so that we can stretch ourselves, that we can develop muscles. I've, I've talked about before when I do Pilates and we have to be on that Bosu ball that. Messes up your um, sense of equilibrium, there's something that is strengthened in me in that. And so is the journey of faith as well. It's truly a, if it's truly a journey, it's going to be unsettling. Cheek Sent Mihai says, contrary to what we usually believe, the best moments in our lives are not the passive, receptive, relaxing times although such experiences can be enjoyable if we have worked hard to maintain them, attain them. The best moments, though, usually occur when a person's body or mind is stretched to its limit in a voluntary effort to accomplish something difficult and worthwhile. For a child, it could be placing with trembling fingers the last block on a tower she has built, higher than any she has built so far. For a swimmer, it could be trying to beat his own record. For a violinist, mastering an intricate musical passage. For each person, there are thousands of opportunities, challenges to expand ourselves. To say this is what we believe and how we believe spiritual formation happens requires that we're willing to enter into the decentering a little bit in order that we may find a deeper center in order that we may develop those muscles that help take us deeper into the journey. Creativity, playfulness, and nature are a risk, but they are also the place of joy. They invite us to a faith that is not about success, but about discovery. Not about perfection, but encounter. Not an answer, but a conversation. I deeply believe this is the faith our souls long for. This is the invitation of Jesus. And this is where the Spirit is found. Amen.